Again, if we cultivate personal holiness, just take your family. Let's say there's four people in your family. And you have all four people in your family, your little church. And each one's pursuing personal holiness. That's going to be pretty amazing in your family. And imagine what happens when you get a bunch of little churches, families together that are pursuing personal holiness. And now they gather together on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Imagine what's going to happen to the corporate holiness. It's going to be amazing. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today, and as we simply just cry out to you, O God, as we humbly come into your presence, Father, I pray that you would just move and stir. Father, as we renounce everything and just think about you and your glory and your praise and your fame, oh Lord, we just come before you with a desperation and an urgency that we just want to live for you all the days of our lives. And so, Father, I ask as we open your word, would you, would you move? Would you stir? Would you reveal yourself in a powerful way today, O oh God? Make us more aware of your presence, God. Give us a hunger, a thirst for personal holiness. Holy Spirit, just move in my heart, in our hearts, like only you can. And God, I pray that you would help me right now to decrease while you increase. I pray that all we see and hear is you. And I pray as we leave here today that we will leave changed. I pray that we will leave on mission Because the reality is that time is drawing nigh. And so, Father, I pray that we would be about your business more than ever before. To cast off all the distractions. And to simply just focus on giving you glory. Being disciples that go and make disciples. All for the fame of your name. And so as we open your glorious word. Speak, reveal, teach me, teach us to walk closely with you and abide with you all the days of our lives. And oh, Father, we give you this time because this is your time, not ours. We're here to worship you. And we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 
take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, looking at verses 23 through 25. And as you're turning there, the uh, title of the message today is a question, and the question goes something like this, is God's Word indestructible? Is God's Word indestructible? That's a very pivotal question we must ask in our culture today that champions our culture does dismantling truth. We live in a culture that hates Jesus, that so desires to cancel Jesus, and they greatly desire to dismantle and deconstruct the truth of God's Word. That really, I believe, is a pivotal question we must all face at some point in this journey, uh, prayerfully today, because when you come out of that question with your answer, that will be the launching pad for how you live your life. One of the desires for my life personally, and I pray for you as well and for us as a church, is that we would seek holiness. God's Word, as we've studied, says, be holy, for I am holy. And the more that I've marinated on this and thought through this and even talked with others, it's become very apparent that personal holiness leads to corporate holiness. When you get a group of people that individually are pursuing personal holiness, you now have a great percentage opportunity to achieve a corporate holiness. Now, some people might ask, uh, holiness, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We know God's Word says it, but maybe that was just a cultural thing. That was back in the day. What's the big deal with pursuing holiness? Well, I believe it's a really big deal. And when you and I begin to understand what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, we begin to see clearly. We begin to see clearly just not the power of God and the rescuing dynamic of what God brings to the soul that is now brought to life, but we begin to see who we really are. That thought began to marinate in my mind these past days, and I thought of a, a quote by Henry Blackaby. He said this, "...when holy God draws near in true revival..." people come under terrible conviction of sin. The outstanding feature of spiritual awakening has been the profound consciousness of the presence and the holiness of God. When's the last time that you and I began to just be enamored at the holiness of God? When's the last time that we began to be enamored at the presence of God? It reminds me there of Isaiah 6, and, and there Isaiah is, and he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, and, and he's high and lifted up, and, and the train of his robe fills the temple. And the smoke takes over the temple, and it's filled with the glory of our God. And his response is not, hey, that's cool. His response is not, wow, that's neat. His response is one of heartfelt contrition. Woe is me, for 
I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm amongst a people of unclean lips. Oh, church, what would happen in, in my life and your life and in our families and our church if we all began to just pursue the presence and the holiness of God? I believe Blackaby was right. And a true awakening, a true revival would occur. As I think through that thought, I can't help but think about 1 Peter. And here we are today in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at 23 through 25. And here's what the Word of God says. Since, very key word, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, very important, how? Through, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is what? Like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news. The good news that was preached to you. You think about those short verses there, 23 through 25, and we always have to understand our context, so you go back up to 22 from our last time together, and here's what Peter writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 1, 22. He says this, having purified your souls, how? By your obedience to what? To the truth. For what? For a sincere brotherly love. Love. Agape. One another. How? Earnestly from a pure heart. Now this is the beauty of Scripture, that when you look at Scripture, the best commentary, as was once said, is Scripture itself. And as you piece the puzzles of Scripture together, you see very clearly here that how on earth do we pull off verse 22? Like, how do you pull that off in a culture that's off the rails, in a culture that has so many challenges and so much hate for Jesus and for the truth? And then I look at my own life, and you look at your life, and, and I struggle with sin, and you struggle with sin. We're in these bodies of death. How do you pull off verse 22? Like, how does this even happen? Well, verse 23 through 25 tells us. That's the whole point here is Peter goes, look, I understand you're in exile, you're fleeing, you're going through this hard time in your life. The temptation is, is to do everything but follow Jesus. And Peter says, but wait a minute, you're called to this unity. You're called to this oneness. And as you're called to this, how do you do this? How do you pull it off? You pull it off by implementing verse 23. Since you have been born again, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. See, everything, and we've said this ad nauseum and we'll say it again, everything in my life and everything in your life is an outflow 
of either your union to Christ or your union not to Christ. Those are the two options. Everything's an outflow. If we're really going to pull off verse 22 and be this loving, unified group of people, we will have to understand our rescue. We will have to understand and embrace what Christ truly did. We will have to understand that we've been pulled from the miry clay. We'll have to understand that we were once walking in darkness and now we're walking in the light. We'll have to understand that we were in the grip of Satan and now we're in the grip of almighty, holy gods. And that grip is safe and secure, isn't it? What a beautiful, beautiful dynamic that I must, you must embrace. As you think through this, it's not perishable. It's imperishable. See, something that perishes could be like the rotten fruit that may be sitting on your dining room table. It perishes. It's here, but then it's gone. We have a hope and a future as we've been born again. Church, we've been brought from death to life. For the true believer, there has been spiritual life that's been breathed into you by the Holy Spirit. The pneuma himself has breathed life into you. I think as we meditate on that thought, I believe we're going to see a very astounding truth as you hold that place in your Bible and go up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As you look at verse 3, holding verse 23 with the other finger, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point, and all God's people said, Amen. Here it is, according to what? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be church. Born, again, sound familiar? To what? To a living hope? Sound familiar? Not a dead hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable? Sound familiar? Undefiled and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Church, do we understand this? For the true believer in Jesus Christ, this is so glorious. That when your conversion, your regeneration, you're being brought from death to life, you're being born again, when it is real, when it is not false, when it is not a sham, but it is real, it is true. Isn't this so glorious? Here's what's waiting for you. Your inheritance can never be destroyed, and it's being kept and guarded in Christ. He's standing guard over your inheritance. I don't know about you, but if I want anyone standing guard over my inheritance, I want it to be Jesus, amen? See, when you and I begin to understand this, it will prayerfully give us a whole new outlook on how we move forward. So many times people get so confused on their rescue that it convolutes everything they do going forward. When we understand and embrace what we've been delivered from and what we've been delivered to, it changes everything. That's why key number one is so important. 
Here's a key number one. A life that is spiritually alive is a life that is anchored to the living Word of God. Key number one, write it down. A life that is spiritually alive is a life that is anchored to the living Word of God. Now, this is very, very important, church. When you go back up to this verse 23, there's a phrase here, and it says this, through the living and abiding Word of God. This is one of those moments you just say, listen up, listen up. Like, take note. This is all through something. What's through there? You have been born again, not with this gift that's going to fade away, not with a gift that hangs in the balance. For the true believer in Christ, your eternal salvation doesn't hang in the balance. It's been signed, sealed, and delivered when it's true. Amen? What a glorious thought. People push against that and go, wait a minute, you know, once saved, always saved. That means I can go out and sin? Let's go partay? Is that what that means? That's someone who does not understand their rescue. When you understand your rescue, what you've been brought from and what you've been brought to, how on earth would you ever want to go back to the sewer? This is the critical nature of understanding the glories of God, His treasures, all that's within Him. This is the beautiful dynamic that comes out through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's active. The seed of God's Word cannot be destroyed, and therefore it's through the living and abiding Word of God. It's actively alive. It's remaining. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to awaken the spiritually dead soul. The Word of God is powerful. There is something about the Word of God it is powerful. It can reach into the hardest, stoniest heart and begin to illuminate, to convict, to encourage, to strengthen. And as it does that in that life, it does the work that only it can do. And that's why we're so passionate about the Word of God. The Word of God will set people free, amen? I was thinking through that key number one, a life that is spiritually alive is a life that is anchored to the living Word of God. And I asked myself a question. I made a note here. I put, have I been branded by the blood of Christ? Ask yourself that question. Have I, have you, have we been branded by the blood of Christ? There is so much to be grateful for. There's so much treasure to have gratitude in. And yet the reality, and I'll use myself as an example, but I can be a pastor and be spiritually dead. It's truly possible to be a church attender and be spiritually dead. When we have been born again, it will do something. It will infuse in you and I a new outlook on life, a, a new passion, and especially a passion for the Word. 
Write down under key number one these supporting verses. This is John chapter 8, 31 through 32. Listen closely. John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, this is a really good thing, amen? If you abide in my word, you are my true disciples. And you will know the truth and church, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Is that not amazing? Let me read that again. John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now that was a really big thing, right? For the Jews to believe in him, a big deal. If you abide, there's that word abide. Now remember in 1 Peter chapter 123, it talks about the living. It's active. It's not dead. The living and abiding word of God. What does it mean to abide? It means this. To remain in, to stay tethered to, to be welded to, to be riveted to. Here Jesus says, if you abide in my word. You notice he didn't say a whole bunch of other things. He said, if you abide in my word. If you and I are diving deep into the word of God, we're mining the scriptures, we're writing the word on the tablet of our hearts, that it's a a frontlet to our eyes. That is our fortress, that it's our shield. That we begin to write it into our minds and sear it deeply into our minds. If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In a culture that has no clue what's up or down regarding the truth, that is off the rails, that chaos is insurmountable, it seems. But we know this, that the light of the gospel doesn't shine the brightest where it's the brightest, but where it's the darkest, amen? And as you and I live the gospel, and we go out to make a difference prayerfully, people will see that we are His true disciples. Write down Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. Listen again to the living, abiding, breathing Word of God. Here it is, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days, so it's written, was written, why? For our instruction. That through endurance and through encouragement of the what church? Of the Scriptures. We might have hope. Did you catch this? I mean, did you catch this? So if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for encouragement, it's not Oprah and Dr. Phil, it's the Word of God. It's the living and abiding Word of God that will give us the strength. How many times have you opened the Bible there perhaps in a morning and you begin to read it, and as you close the Bible, you leave refreshed? You leave encouraged. You leave inspired. That's what the Word of God does. How? Why? Because it's living. It's living. It's alive. We don't serve a God who's dead. We serve the God, the great God of the Bible, who's fully alive. And because He's alive, His Word is alive. That's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says it so beautifully. Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It pierces 
to the division of the soul and of the spirit of the joints and the marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. How many times have you maybe thought about doing something that was not of the Lord? Maybe there's bitterness with someone, an issue, a challenge, and you get in God's Word. You begin to mine the Scriptures, and it's living and it's active, and it begins to reveal and illuminate where I'm off course, where you're off course. That's what God's Word does. It's powerful. There is something about the truth of God's Word that nothing else, nothing else in this world will ever bring. It's living and it's active. Well, here's Jeremiah's response to the living, abiding Word of God. Jeremiah 15, 16. thought I'd give you an easy one to remember. If you can count, you can remember that one. Amen? Jeremiah 15, 16. Listen to his response. This is a guy who's had a lot of struggles and people hate him because he's a truth teller. And he says this, your words were found and I ate them. What a visual this is. And your words became to me, notice this, they became to me a joy and the delight, the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. What an amazing verse. I found your words. I was in such desperation. His despair was so deep. I found these words of yours and I ate them. And these words of yours, O God, became to me a joy and the delight of my soul. The Word of God is a balm to our weary souls. So many times through the Psalms you see this. The psalmist is crying out, O Lord, my heart and my flesh may fail, but but you, God, are the strength of my heart and you're my portion forever. Oh God, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. On and on we could go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my heart. Whom shall I be afraid of? Oh, I would have lost heart in the land of the living if I did not believe in the goodness of the Lord. Oh, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Oh, wait, I say, on the Lord. That's the word of God. It's living. It's abiding. It's active. So Peter is telling his reader then and telling us now that it's all about being born again. Born again. Rescued. Regenerated. How? Well, look what it says right there in 23. Not of a perishable seed, but one that's imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. And how does all of this happen? It's through the living an abiding Word of God. So look at verse 24. Here Peter doubles down on this concept of power in the Word of God. Look what he says here as he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 in 24 and in 25. He says this, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. First part of 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Does that bring comfort to anyone else in the room besides me today? 
I am so glad in a culture, in a world where things come and go, they're here today and gone tomorrow, aren't you glad that the Word of God endures and remains forever? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I think it's interesting when you see what Peter does here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the Word of God is living and it's abiding. What a great truth. What a great truth to sink your teeth into. What a great truth just to cling to with with everything that you got. And now he reminds us that, look, there are some things that exist and that go away. And he says, look, I'm going to explain to you about this perishable and imperishable dynamic, this dichotomy. And he's painting this picture and he's trying to show them, the reader then, and us, the reader now, that in the midst of seeming uncertainty, as the old saying goes, there's nothing uncertain with these certain gods. That in the midst of the struggles of this life today, and all that's going on, and you continue to read the accounts of people just going off the rails in every direction, we know this, that the Word of our God stands forever, amen? Have you thought about this, that if the Word of God doesn't stand forever, what do we cling to? We cling to this because it's our hope, it's our security, it's our identity, because it's all wound up in the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. I want you to write down key number two. And this is one that is very practical, but so very true. And probably one that I and you struggle with deeply. But here it is, key number two. We must embrace the reality that this earthly life and all that it offers doesn't last forever. Key number two, write it down. We must embrace, this is important, we must embrace this, the reality that this earthly life and all that it offers doesn't last forever. See, Peter is trying to make a point here that there's a lot of stuff on this earth that can be good stuff, but it doesn't remain forever. It's the Word of God. And the enemy, he does this in my life, and he does this in all of our lives to some degree, but he loves to get us distracted, right? Get distracted on things that don't really matter. Get focused on things, get caught up in things that don't really matter in the whole scheme of things. For you that have lived long enough and perhaps you have a garage, you can probably identify with this. You purchase something years ago and then you purchase more things and before you know it, you got a garage full of things. And it's amazing how important those things seemed at one point, and now they're not that important anymore, are they? Now you can't even get the garage door up. They're really that important, right? 
It's how we work in our humanness. It's just easy to get distracted. It's easy to move the the goal, so to speak, of life. When God says, I'm here, I haven't moved, I'm right here, just follow me, worship me, surrender to me all the days of your life, obey me, and watch me do something in your midst. I love John chapter 6, verse 63. John 6, 63 says it like this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Don't miss that part of that verse. Let me read this again. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. The flesh, what's it do? Well, when my flesh gets in the scene and gets on the scene, I convolute things. I don't know about you, but my flesh is weak. Uh, My flesh is sinful. It's the Spirit, the capital S, the Holy Spirit, going back again to the pneuma, the rushing wind of, of Acts 2, the mighty winds. And you think about this thought in my life and your life, that as we pursue this being born again and what it looks like, what it looks like in my life and your life to live a life that doesn't just say we're born again, but lives a life that shows we're born again. Our world, I believe, is waiting. I believe our world is waiting for believers all across this country to live out the hope they profess. There's so many people that are just looking for anything to dull the pain and fill the void of life. And for the true believer, we have the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. There is no other solution. There is only one solution to the sin problem, and His name is Jesus. And for you and I that have Him, that we've given our lives to Him, He's transferred His righteousness to us as we've given Him our sin. What an incredible story to share. That we can go out today and start sharing our glory story. We can say, man, I was pulled from this, and now Jesus has me over here. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And you can begin to share your testimony. It is the most glorious thing we have to offer to a lost and dying world, is the gospel through our testimony, that we willingly share it. Yes, you'll be rejected. Yes, you'll be made fun of. It's par for the course. But when people are going to a godless hell, you and I must be a people that we are grabbing ankles as they're going over the edge. That's the good news. Because Matthew 24, 35 gives us great reassurance. Listen to what Matthew 24, 35 says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What a great treasure today for you, for me. The midst of whatever you're dealing with and all the struggles and the disappointments and the setbacks. What a glorious treasure today, church. As we cling to the old rugged cross, as we rest through the empty tomb, that we know and understand and embrace what we've been delivered from and what we've been delivered to. This eternal rescue of regeneration, of breathing life into our dead, weary souls. There's nothing greater. And in the midst of that, we rest on the promises of God.
that even though heaven and earth will pass away, as the new heaven and the new earth are being fashioned and created, we have this glorious truth, but my words will not pass away. So how do we take all this and somehow just put a big red bow on it? Well, I believe 25 does that for us. And here's what 25 says, as we've already quoted the first part from Isaiah 40. 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That means there's no end to it. It cannot be destroyed. It doesn't matter what people say, what politicians say, what Hollywood says. It doesn't matter. The word of my God stands forever. We stand on the bedrock of Scripture. We know it's true. We believe it. We hang our hat on it. We cling to it, the fiber of our being. We know our Redeemer lives. Amen? And as we operate with great confidence, not for the victory, but great confidence from the victory, we do so with a spiritual spine of titanium that will not bend, it will not buckle, and it will not break. Peter says these words in 25 in the Bible in front of you. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And this word is the good news that was heralded to you. This is the good news. It was once said that it's only good news if it gets there on time. And there's so many people right here in America, which I believe is the most neglected mission field on the planet. I'm all for going overseas, I've been overseas. We live in a country that was founded on one nation under God and we've turned our back on Him with such disdain and distaste that we must begin to herald the Word of God right here. Now is the time, right here in our country. But in order for there to be good news, there has to be bad news. And our culture doesn't want you to hear about the bad news. The reality is this, that unless you and I truly give our lives to Christ and it's real, we will face an eternity forever separated from Him. And there aren't any do-overs. There isn't like, hey, you know, sorry I got this one wrong, God. Can I get a second chance? No, it's over. It's depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you worker of sin, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. It's not that I don't know you today, because I don't know you today, but the reality is I never knew you. And by the way, these were people in that context of those verses that professed to be all in, doing miracles, but their heart had never been converted. Their heart had never been regenerated. Their heart had never been brought to life. It's the good news. And yes, the Bible, I get this. I understand the Bible does address the challenges of life. I understand this, and it does. But the focus of Scripture, church, hear this clearly, the focus of Scripture is not to be some hocus-pocus magic potion that we just kind of douse on our problems as we go through life, and then God just miraculously you know, leads us out of the trial you know, into the freedom of doing whatever we want to do. That's not how this works. But when you look at Scripture... 
God often uses our trials to begin to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. As I heard recently, it was just an astounding statement from a young person that said, the goal of my life is that I would become complete in Christ. Wow. Wow. The goal of my life is to become complete in Him. Is that your goal? Is that my goal, that we become complete in Christ? It's the good news. It's the Word of God that endures forever. It remains forever and that was preached to you. That's why our key number three, I believe, is one that we must hang on to and abide in fervently. Key number three, here it is. Write it down. The Word of God is the good news. The good news. Not a good news, but the good news. And regardless of how much it is attacked, it can never be destroyed. Key number three, the Word of God is the good news. It's the answer. And regardless of how much it is attacked, it can never be destroyed. If you're all in for Jesus and you're saying, I want to be a truth teller. I want to live out the message. I want to be the message. As Christ dwells in you, the hope of glory, as the Word of God dwells in you richly, if your prayer is today, man, I want to be that example and that message to all my neighbors and coworkers and family members. And wherever I go, I just want to be a living, breathing example to the glorious riches of the treasure trove of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's you here today, and I pray it is for all of us, you have a dangerous calling on your life. Because the gospel is so interesting. It gives such great hope on one extreme. And to those who hate Jesus, it's greatly offensive on the other extreme. There's great hope and there's great offensiveness. And if you're a truth teller, if you're a culture changer today, you will be accused and you will be abused. And that's just the way it works. Jesus warned us. He said to the disciples then, he says to us now, people are going to hate you because of me. So what does that do for you and me? Do we shy away from the glorious gospel that will set men and women free? Of course not. With love and grace and mercy, but with truth, we proclaim the gospel. We stand on the gospel. We cling to it with a desperation that, again, we won't bend, buckle, nor break because we know confidently that our Redeemer lives and we know confidently that the Word of God remains and abides forever. And when you come from that platform that the one who has saved you and pulled you from the pit of sin and the pit of death, He stands today fully alive when you know that He's real, that He's conquered sin and death and the grave is forever empty, when you know that His Word cannot be destroyed no matter what the culture says, that should infuse you and I with a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of courage, a renewed passion, a renewed calling that, hey, I'm going to live for Jesus all the days of my life. And even if it costs me my life, praise Jesus because I get to go be with Him. Amen? And yet, so often we just hang on to this life. That's why Isaiah chapter 55 
verse 10 and 11, says it like this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, listen closely, church, so shall my word be that goes forth out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Wow, isn't that good? In the midst of a culture that's going to hate you because you love Jesus. In the midst of a culture that's going to hate you because you love God's Word. Cling to Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. It will not return void. That as you live out the gospel, as you herald the gospel, as you teach the gospel, as you disciple others, it will not return void. The Bible says this, to be steadfast, to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing constantly that the labor we do for Him is never in vain. When you and I do something for the gospel, on behalf of the gospel, with a motive that says, I don't want any credit for it, I just want people to come to know Jesus, we have a promise from God's Word, it will not return void. Don't lose heart, church. Don't lose heart. Keep pressing forward. Keep pressing into Jesus. It's the hope that our culture is dying for and they don't even know it. We have the greatest cure for the greatest disease called sin and the greatest cure, His name is Jesus. Oh, what a great opportunity we have to win the lost and disciple the saved. How about Jeremiah again? Write this one down. Jeremiah 23, 29. Listen to the power in this verse. In case you're wondering, does God's Word have any power? Here it is. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my Word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Amen? What a glorious confidence builder. For me and you today, as we go live out the gospel, that His Word is like fire. His Word is like a hammer that's going to break the rock in pieces. Our job is simply to go out and herald the gospel, to live the gospel, to go out and declare the gospel, and God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will use our obedience to be a light and a witness in a city on a hill that people won't even glorify us, but prayerfully, they're going to glorify our Father who's in heaven. Amen? That's the goal, and that's the mission. But I know some are going to attack the gospel. There's going to be some in your lives that will, that will hate you, as I mentioned earlier. Well, cling to Scripture. Cling to it. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Just cling to this in those moments. Cling to it with an utter desperation because the Word of God is living and it's abiding. And here's what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. For the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, but to us who are being rescued, it's the power of God. 
This is what happens to the living, breathing, abiding Word of God, that it's working in your life. It's working in my life. It's bringing us into more completion to Christ as the pruning goes on, as the rough edges are getting sanded off in my life and your life, and we're becoming more like Jesus It's the power of God for the truly redeemed and regenerated person. But to the world out there who's not being saved, it's all foolishness. Matter of fact, when you look at that word foolish or folly in 118 there of 1 Corinthians, it's where we get our English word moron. It's foolishness. Why? Because there's a spiritual deadness there. Ever talked with someone who's, you can just see it in their eyes? You can look in their eyes, the window to the soul. There's a spiritual vacancy. It's dead. It's hollow. Oh, my prayer is that those people would come to know Jesus. My prayer is that through me and you, that we'd have such an urgency and and such a determination that we want to win the lost and and win them today. But it's going to take a, a true submission and true surrender. And I believe it's going to take a seeking of personal holiness. We've been talking about this personal holiness now for many, many weeks. And through a conversation just this past week, it really began to stir even more in my mind. And so the takeaway question is is simply this. Do I daily seek personal holiness in my life? Do I daily seek personal holiness in my life? Again, if we cultivate personal holiness, just take your family. Let's say there's four people in your family. And you have all four people in your family, your little church. And each one's pursuing personal holiness. That's going to be pretty amazing in your family. And imagine what happens when you get a bunch of little churches' families together that are pursuing personal holiness, and now they gather together on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Imagine what's going to happen to the corporate holiness. It's going to be amazing. But I'm sure someone's asking, okay, well, what do I do? How do I get there? What does it look like? Well, Donald Whitney gives us 10 questions to examine, to diagnose our spiritual health. And here they are. Number one, do you thirst for God? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. So my soul thirsts after thee. Do you thirst for God? Is there a hunger today for God in your life? Is He just an an add-on benefit that kind of helps you get through the difficult days of life? Or is He your life? Do you thirst for Him? Number two, Are you governed increasingly by God's Word? Are you governed increasingly by God's Word? Is there a joyful submission to dig into God's Word, to open the Bible, to examine the Scriptures, to sit under it joyfully and not rebel against it, but say, no, I've given my life to you. I know it's living. I know it's breathing. It's abiding. I know it's active. I want to be in this, and I want to walk in holiness and obedience to it. Is there that desire? Number three, are you more loving? Number three, are you more loving? Number four, 
Are you more sensitive to God's presence? There it is again. Is there just a deep desire to be in His presence? I mean, do you just hunger for that and thirst for that? Number five, do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Is there a growing concern, especially for the spiritual needs? Number six, do you delight in the bride of Christ, the church? Do you delight in it? Is it just something we do and we meet our friends and have a good time and have a potluck every now and then? Or is there a delighting in the bride of Christ? I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is coming back for His church. For those that are truly in Him, He's coming back. Do you delight in this? Number seven, are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Number eight, and I believe this to be one of the most important by far, but do you still grieve over sin? Have you ever been there where you know your sin is illuminated for what it really is? And you're just so grieving over it. It just brings you to tears. That you know what it is, you see it, you want to kill it, you want to mortify it, you know it's got a stronghold in your life. Do you grieve over your sin? Number nine, are you a quick forgiver? Are you a quicker forgiver? Number nine, do we hold on to grudges? Do we let bitterness set in? Do we hang on to those things that have wounded us? And like was once said, that bitterness is like us drinking the poison pill while we're waiting for the other person to die? Are you, am I, a quicker forgiver? And then lastly, 10, do you yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus? Do you yearn for it? Or is the reality this earth is your home? For the true believer, we're just passing through. We're passing through and we're trying to get as many people as we can to get on the bus. That's what we're doing, right? Just get on the bus, man. We're, bus is leaving. Nah, I want to I hang out here. This is really nice. Well, I pray that's not the case because Jesus was clear that we're in the world, but not of it. Here today and gone tomorrow. Blip on the radar. Do you yearn for heaven? I've shared this before, but the thing that I look forward to other than being in the presence of Jesus and just worshiping Him, I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to be free from this body of death of sin. I just can't wait. Like, there's no more sin in my life. I can't wait for that day. These are ten questions to pursue personal holiness that Donald Whitney has given us. I don't know about you, but these are 10 questions that I'm analyzing every day. And I would encourage you to do just the same. So what's the action step? Where do we go from here? Well, here it is. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will confidently stand on the indestructible Word of God. By the way, this is one of those things that you want to have figured out on the front end. 
Uh, don't wait till you're in the battle, in the struggle, you're called out at work or wherever, where you really stand on the Word of God. Typically, when we're in those moments and there's no game plan, we'll bend, we'll buckle, we'll break. But choose this day who you will serve. Say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and, and I'm going to choose right now to stand on the indestructible Word of God. Because God's Word says very clearly, as I close from Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3, 7 through 17. Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power, not mine, but His. To me, here it goes, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to do what? To herald, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. Do you hear that, church? The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why? Well, here's the so that. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be, what, what? Might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Why? For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. That you being rooted, there it is, rooted, grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length? Think about this. The breadth and length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able. Now to Him, not to us. Now to Him who is able. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly and all that we ask or thank according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we come before You. And we lift this up to You, Lord. We lift up our lives as we surrender all right now. It was once said, go find something to die for and live for it. What is the thing in your life and my life that is so valuable that we would both die and live for it. 
No, I pray it's the Gospel. I pray it's to go make disciples through the Gospel. So Father, we come before You in this time of surrender, of total commitment, being all in. God, we confess we can't do everything. But Father, I pray that each of us, myself at the top of the list, would refuse to do nothing. Oh, Father, give us a burning conviction to be all in for Jesus. Burning conviction. So, Father, as we give this time to you, perhaps there's one who's never given their life to you today, and what a joyful day it would be for that person to surrender all to you. Maybe we need to repent. Lord, whatever you're asking us to do today, we just want to be found faithful. And so Holy Spirit, as you lead us, as you draw us, as you stir, as you woo, make it very clear and make it plain what you want us to do next. For that person here today that knows that they need to be that example to their family, I pray you give them boldness. Give them courage. For the person today that is hearing the still small voice to pursue personal holiness, give them courage. Give them boldness. God, whatever you want to do in this time, it's all about you. We can try the things of the world. That's an option. But it's an option going nowhere. But I pray that today that every one of us will just throw ourselves on the old rugged cross. I pray that every one of us today will begin to rest in the empty tomb and its power. And from those two events, we'll go forth to win the lost at any cost. So Father, would you speak in this time? Help us to do whatever you want us to do and trust you with the consequences. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.